Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. God will never give you more than you can handle. If it happened, I guess it just must have been God's will. And one of the more popular Bible study sayings, well, what does this verse mean to you? We're going to be examining these statements and other ones that happen to be popular in a lot of the Christian scene today. And with me to examine them and see whether or not they are biblical is none other than the president and founder of Good Fight Ministries and pastor of Blessed Hope Chapel in Simi Valley, California, Pastor Joe Schimmel. Chad, I'm excited about this study. What did we do this a couple weeks ago? We did yep. about five or, other, five or so other questions that went really well. And I was inspired. I thought, I'm going to take those same questions, go a little deeper in a Wednesday message, which we I got into as well. And I was like, I, I thought it's pretty astonishing because our fellowship is, by the grace of God, very a lot of solid believers and it was just interesting to see the response of a lot of the brothers and sisters because they hear those sayings. And just to see a lot of smoke clear for them, I mean, they knew these sayings, you know, that the ones I was positing were, you know, unbiblical. Uh, for the most part, I'm sure most of them did at least, you know. But I thought, wow, I thought this was very, I thought, man, if it was so important for our fellowship to look at these popular sayings that are used, and it cleared up a lot of false teaching, a lot of smoke that people hear, that this would be great to have a part two I'm glad you brought us back and we're doing five other questions, man. Yeah, because it's really, when you hear these, you hear these things all the time and they, and wrong doctrine leads to wrong living. And a lot of these sayings, they basically are inherent with false doctrine and they can put Christians off on a wrong path. So uh, very popular sayings. Ones we're looking at today are, are going to be really important to look at. No, I, and that was one of the things, you know, on the last five that we did, like you said, there are so many and the, the specifically the, the title of this episode dealing with will God give you more than you can handle there is some nuance there that we're going to have to get through when we get to that question but or can you outgive God or can you on the space it looks like that's a true statement you cannot give God that's for sure true but it's how they're used often yeah that that's true I, I think when it comes to all these things there's always a, a context or a pretext more or less that they're usually used in when somebody's using these statements it's similar to, man, and we didn't even try to use this, judge lest ye be judged. But that's not a saying, that's actually a Bible verse. The problem is when it's removed from its context, it's a pretext for absolutely just wrong and usually debaucherous uh, Right, we've got a whole nonsense. show on yeah. judging, you know, and what the Bible actually says about it. Yeah, and, and that's it. All these, all these statements are important to address because it is, a, we live in a generation where a lot of the, the teaching that gets popularized, whether it's on YouTube or whether it's, at, at the local church and, and so forth, specifically the mega church, a lot of them are who has the best pithy maxim and who has the best statement of this and, ooh, I want to learn something new. It's kind of like in Acts 17 where it says they were always waiting to learn something new. Yeah. It's, it's like that that scripture over and over again. You can't just go back to it and say, what does God say? And we're going to be getting into that with some of the more subjective renderings of Bible studies and statements that you might hear at a Bible study. But before we get to that, Joe, we are excited because you guys are here 
And this is exclusive on our YouTube channel, unless you're listening to podcasts later. But the live show is exclusive to our YouTube channel. And Joe, this week we're so excited because we hit 150,000 subscribers on our YouTube channel that people have come on to Good Fight Ministries and not only watch videos, but press subscribe. And one of the things we're excited about that, not because, oh man, now we get a bunch of subscribers, but the truth is, is that we use this channel to share the gospel. And that's the Amen. entire point of this channel. It's why we deal with the topics that we deal with. We want to make sure that we are biblical in our approach and make sure we're following the commandment given in Ephesians 5.11 to expose the unfruitful works of darkness. But ultimately, it's for the goal. It's twofold, really. It's to bring people to know Jesus Christ. Amen. Specifically, with a lot of the topics we deal with, people that would not just click on any old video, but now are clicking it because it's their favorite star, it's their favorite whatever. And now we're bringing those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. And it's also to bring about the edification of the body where so many yep. people, Joe. To warn and build up. And how many people, I remember the first time, and I'll, I'll, you know, I'll bring this up, the first time we went to, uh, Am not Amsterdam, but yeah, Holland. Uh, and the first time I had went uh, with you. And we go there and you share, they sold their souls to rock and roll. Now, I am the fruit of they sold their souls to rock and roll. I came to Christ after watching they sold their souls for rock and roll. But now you're given a presentation there with some of the more newer music at the time. This was over a decade ago. But anyways, uh, <laughs> but where you're given that presentation, and I believe it was the interpreter that comes up after to share. And he was like, I didn't even realize what was going on in my life where I was allowing this music. He said it was American country music. I barely knew what the lyrics were. And he said, but guess what? Uh, no, it wasn't an interpreter because he would have known the lyrics. But either way, it was one of the guys in the church. And he said, and he said, I barely knew what the lyrics were. But all of a sudden, I'd come home. I'd be angry at my wife. And I'd be upset and all this stuff. And he's like, and then I realized I need to get this stuff out. And so seeing the edification of the body, that's really the twofold reason for this channel and the reason for the channel. So, uh, Joe, and, and, and point this out as well before I hand it back to you. But... Guys, on Patreon, thank you so much who have come alongside on patreon.com slash goodfight to support the ministry. And the reason why I'm saying that is because why you are watching us right now live, why you are getting to see a video version of 511 News every Friday is because we've hired, because of Patreon, two full-time editors now. And that is the Amen. only way that we'd be able to do this, period. Tony could not have done all of this by himself. He's already the worship leader at, the, at our body. He is. Yep, we need some help. <laughs> and the graphics and stuff, the music bed and stuff that you guys see, he edits those for all the videos, the Marvel series and so forth. All of that's done by Tony. So to think, oh yeah, don't don't forget, we also have to do some video podcasting that you have to edit. It just was not a, a possibility. And so to be able to now offer this on video, and it's strictly, it's not an exaggeration, it's strictly because people have come alongside on patreon.com slash goodfight. And supported. So I want to thank our Patreon subscribers and all you subscribers on our YouTube channel. Joe? No, that's huge. We're able to not only bring Tommy on and Josh on, uh, Doug, Stableton, we brought on part-time. And he's been huge in helping us get yeah. things done. He likes to crack the whip, you know, on all of us. He's, I love it, man. The nicest whip cracker I've ever met, though. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that's absolutely true. We have Everybody here loves Jesus, man, and, and it's reflected in our fellowship and prayer lives together. And it's just beautiful. But you guys make that possible. Lord Lord uses means, and these are the means that he uses. And so I want to thank all the Patreons. Uh, and at the same time, you know, uh, we also emphasize and like to praise God that you are partners in ministry. And the scriptures are very, very clear. Uh, those that partner in ministry and give to the ministry, the Bible says will also share the fruit of that ministry. So 
on the day of judgment, those of you who are from the heart saying, hey, I want to support a ministry that I know is going to bear fruit, bring people to Christ and sanctify believers. And if you know our ministry, you know there's a lot of fruit by the grace of God uh, in this through tons of people getting saved and coming to Christ and lives changed. Uh, Chad just mentioned getting saved through one of the videos that's been duplicated tens of thousands of times over uh, for people. So you actually, by helping the process, uh, bear that fruit and make your your, your time, your talent, and your treasure count for God's glory. So we give you much uh, thanks for uh, helping in the ministry. And those of you who say, well, I really don't don't have any ability to help, but I get the I get people to subscribe. I send the messages to people. I send, uh, you know, get people uh, to, to check out your guys' stuff. Praise God. That's the same thing. You're using your time, you know. That's why I mentioned just treasure that's used for God's glory, but time and talent, you know, uh, to get the word out, get the gospel out and we praise God for those who've joined along with us. And by the way, if you're not a patron, please sign up, man. Uh, you know, there's different levels that you can give, but every every level is very, very helpful. And they all become, it all translates to, to winning souls and turning people to Christ and, and encouraging believers to know the truth and keeping a lot of people from the wickedness that are true believers that otherwise would be perishing if God wasn't using ministry to warn them otherwise. Amen. And yeah, I just, I did want to give you guys a big thanks. And, you know, Joe, I was talking with a brother and sister in Christ, and it's really fun to see kind of how these dynamics work because for this brother and sister last night, they came to know Good Fight through Blessed Hope Chapel. So they came to Blessed Hope Chapel, heard the sermons and stuff. They had uh, a couple of brothers that they knew that were going here and fellowshipping here. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, wow, this is a good word. And and so forth, and then they can go back to our Good Fight Ministries YouTube channel, and now they're like, whoa, we didn't realize all this stuff you had on Bethel, and so forth, and now they're growing in that way as well, being able to determine the uh, the darkness uh, from the light there. Yeah, they actually came out of fellowship that was flirting with that whole movement. So Yeah, and it was it was a beautiful thing, because and honestly, so often, and, and praise God, we've had a number of visitors that I get to see them on the comment section, and then I get to meet them a lot of Sundays here, yeah at our fellowship because that's one thing we wanted to do not only with good fight ministries is we want to have answers doctrinally on here as well we always bring everything back to the gospel everything back to scripture but also if you're not subscribing to blessed hope chapel and getting the wednesday and the sunday morning messages and the worship and all the stuff that we got going on there you guys are missing out as well and i mean these are hardcore sermons Every Wednesday, every Sunday, you guys can be blessed by as well. On top of all the stuff we're doing here, we try to get out as much material as possible because honestly, we have 150,000 subscribers and YouTube could just say, yeah, we're done with you tomorrow. And that was our last chance on this channel. So every time we come here, we come thinking that, wait a second, if this was our last one, we still want people to come to Christ after watching. Absolutely. That's our goal. I wanted to mention a, a couple things before we get into the first question, Joe. I, um, I was talking this morning, but it'll air tomorrow morning on 511 News regarding a deconstruction of a worship leader that was at Elevation Church and his wife uh, posting about abortion and why this is why she's leaving the church because the church is anti-abortion. And uh, one of the things that I was thinking about is because she posted, and you guys can see it in the morning uh, if you want to check that out, it'll be on tomorrow morning, but she posted about how abortion laws are actually racist. (laughs) And... And Joe, I couldn't help but mentioning, and it's a perfect time to bring it up. And so we always try to highlight something that we have here at the ministry that's a blessing. And this video right here, The Dark Secrets of Planned Parenthood. 
If you have never seen it, I'll move it over to this side. Oh, no, look at that. That's why we're live, Tony. See, I would have fixed that for Five of the News, but we're live, uh, so I don't get to fix that. But when it comes to this video, if you ever wanted to find out just how racist Mar- Margaret Sanger truly is, Founder or truly was, yeah. uh, she's, she's whatever now, but if you want to see just how clear-cut it is that they were going after and trying to kill black babies specifically. Dark, The Dark Secrets of Planned Parenthood does just... It, it just ends the case. You can't argue against it. I'm sorry. It's just historical fact. So it's important for us to, to have this knowledge and so forth. So I wanted to showcase that. We'll always try to bring something up and let you guys know some of the material that we have and that we do offer here at Good Fight. You can check that out at, good, at goodfight.org. You can find it there. But... Joe, I remember that is powerful, and uh, it's a hard one to watch. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. It's like the Kinsey syndrome. In it's way. like the Kinsey syndrome in just another way. Uh, rather than the pedophilia, this is the murdering of babies. But over and over again, attacks on the children and and so forth. And and you live in a mixed up and world. And literally, Margaret Sanger targeting black children, which you'll see. It's disgusting. It's absolutely a grotesque display. And for anyone to have such an ignorant statement to say something along those lines. By the way, just guys, the bare minimum that the country could do is say, throw this back to the states. <laughs> That's the bare minimum. Throwing out Roe v. Wade is absolutely the bare minimum of a country that is dripping with the blood of over 60 million babies. That's a reality here. Uh, and and so this well, is the, the bare minimum. AOC just came out and said something like, you know, yeah, having babies, I don't, you know, unwanted babies, you know, that's having more children, that actually you know, that makes you work against your will more. Well, uh, yeah, having kids, having five kids that you wanted may at one point make you work more <laughs> against than you wanted to work. Does that mean you kill them? No. Yeah. Does that mean you commit murder? No. Yeah. That means you love them and you do that extra work that's needed to pr- provide for them. You know, yeah. and then you trust the Lord and seek him. If you're following the Lord, he says he'll meet all your needs, according to his riches and glory. Yeah, the, uh, the only difference now um, and back in the time that not only Jesus, but before Jesus as well, that Jeremiah spoke about. The only difference now is the altar that they're sacrificing rather than being Moloch or yeah. some other false god. It's yeah. simply um, the author, the altar of convenience, sadly. Uh, so it's heartbreaking. So, Joe, let's get into these because I, I know we've already, we wanted to say, I, I mean, we, we have to say thank you to you guys. That's 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 the big Amen. thing. We, we are beyond excited uh, to have you guys on here. I see so many of the moderators and so forth. And so hopefully this will be a blessing to you, uh, this episode, because we want to go through these in case you're encountering these questions as well. So the first one, Joe, and this one, we did an entire episode on this a while back, if you remember, uh, the rapper um, Lecrae mm-hmm. uh, actually did an entire thing where he was, he came out, um, and sadly enough, it looked like he was smoking a blunt. But, oh, and he was uh, going to a secular wicked rap concert yes you know? he was and One the shirt he had on yeah wu-tang clan cream and and so forth just nasty stuff but regardless um this is a statement not just made by lecrae this is a statement made by people all the time in fact but there was a guy sharing the gospel there yes and he upbraided him and came down on him right yeah of course rebuking it's so interesting he said basically you need to get to know these guys and become friends with people before you can share the gospel with them that's our question yeah that is our question joe you need to be friends with someone before you can share the gospel with them. So that is the statement that is typically made. And I'm telling you this right now, that statement was made to me in the workforce by people who claim to be believers. 
uh, because I would share the gospel with anybody that was there. If they were shopping or whatever it may be, or my coworker, my boss, whoever it may be, they were going to get the gospel preached to them. And so I've heard this a number of times, and I've had believers at churches tell me this. Not at our church, praise God, um, but I've had a number of believers say, I, you know, you really got to be friends with someone before you share the gospel, because they have to be able to trust you before you can share the gospel with them. So, Joe, is that a factual statement? That is so unbiblical to say that you must, in some kind of absolutist sense, uh, sometimes there's half-truths. Yeah, it's good if you can get to know someone and share the gospel with them after mm -hmm. you, you show them your life a little bit. Praise God, I do that, we do that. There's people I get to know a little bit because they happen to be in my neighborhood or that many people, uh, when I was in the secular workforce, it was not like every time I ran into somebody that I was working with, start share the gospel right that second. I get to know people, then I would share the gospel with them. Uh, other times, there's uh, many, many occasions, most people I've led to Christ by far and away, I've never met. You know, they've gotten saved through just tuning in. Uh, many people that I've, you know, that I've led to Christ are my entire family, all seven of them. Uh, all of us came to Christ, but I came first to share the gospel with each and every one of them. Took some time. Uh, my closest friends, I knew them, and I was friends with them first. And I'd become a Christian. They saw me change, and then one by one, my closest friends came to Christ. So I've seen friendship evangelism be very, very effective. But when it's stated in an absolute sense, well, you must do it this way. I don't even understand where that comes from. These people have to be biblically illiterate if they're stating, making such a declaration. When Jesus said, go and preach the gospel, uh, he didn't say, go and hang out there for, for six months to a year and get to know everybody, become their friends, then share the gospel. Uh, some emergence will say, you know, don't even share the gospel. You know, just clean up. One of them says, just clean a park for the rest of your life and just go clean trash up. That's what one emergent writer wrote. And just keep <laughs> cleaning trash and you'll probably never share the gospel because it may take generations before people are actually open to the gospel. That's a person that does not. I'm going to stop there because that just that just blows me away. That, this, that These people are deterring people from sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and leading them astray. Jesus said, go and preach the gospel in, in the entire world. And they said, if when you go to a house... If they reject you, you're going to a house, you don't even know the people, and they reject you, wipe the dust off your feet. You know, go to the next town, right? So when you look at Jesus' pattern, Chad, in sharing the gospel, uh, yeah, you know, he, had, he became friends with people and shared at times as he showed them his love and so forth. But at the same time, man, you look at the Nicodemus. Nicodemus wanted to talk about miracles. Jesus, we know you're from God. Nobody could do these, these miracles unless he's from God, and he wanted to talk about these miracles, and Jesus cut right to the chase. He didn't say, okay, let's have a, a big talk about miracles. He told Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you won't enter the kingdom of God. You must be born of water and spirit to enter the kingdom of God. Don't marvel that I said you must be born again. Just cut to the chase. In Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, Jesus anticipates a question that people are thinking about. Were the Galileans more wicked than these others that were, were killed because of how they died? And Jesus says, you know, suppose they're more wicked. He said, unless you repent. He didn't say, hey, you know, let's hang out for a couple months. Then I want to share something with you. No, he said, unless you repent. You all likewise perish. The woman at the well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, man, it was kind of an interesting conversation there. But he told her that she needed to drink from the living water if she was going to live forever, you know? And he even contradicted her sensibilities because she's, we believe salvation's from this mountain. He said salvation's of the Jews. He challenged her. And it's really interesting because, uh, you know, all kinds of people got saved. He didn't get to know a bunch of the Samaritans first. He shared the, he shared the truth with her about who he was. You know what? In in John chapter four, let, let me read this because I think this is pretty pretty amazing. In John chapter four, uh, it, we we find out what happened there 
after she goes and shares and says, man, this guy told me everything about myself, you know. And, and uh, we read, from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because the word of the woman who testified, he told me all the things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And now he didn't stay there two days early and become their friends. He just stayed there two days after they got saved. Verse 41, many more believed because of his word. So I think it's important that we understand, biblically speaking, uh, to say that you have to become friends uh, with people before you share the gospel. That's so unbiblical. And guess what? People that are adopting that mentality, a lot of times it sounds good. I'll tell you why. Because guess what? It's hard to share the gospel. It's hard to be bold and share the gospel. So you must cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, give me boldness. Even the Apostle Paul. A lot of people think Paul was just such a bold guy going around. Just, But Paul asked more than once, pray that God would give me boldness to, to, to preach the gospel and to do it clearly. You know, And I pray, God, give me boldness because there's some circumstance I'm like, you know what, man? You know, it'd be easy sometimes to just wait. But you know what? I've, after you do it more and more, it's like it becomes easier and easier to share the gospel. But someone tells you, yeah, you really want to become friends with people first. You know how many people slip through the cracks and go to hell because people are waiting to become their friends and they don't tell them the gospel? You know? Uh, that it's, it's a bad deal. Plus, we've got to be, be careful about becoming too close and too friendly with the world. Amen. James 4.4 4 says, You adulteresses, know you not that friendship with the world is empty with God. Whoever makes himself a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 and following says, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, you know. So what happens, a lot of believers say, I'm going to get close to this person, I'm going to share the gospel with them. Then what happens, a lot of times the world ends up influencing them. If you're sitting on this table and I'm sitting, you know, below you or, or you're sitting on this table, it's easier for me to pull you down than for you to pull me up, okay? Guarantee you that right now. I don't care how big and strong you are, man. I can yank you down easier than you can yank me up. I'm like a 280-pound man. So you're going to have a struggle doing that, you know. But I'll tell you what, spiritually, there's a lot of truth to that too. Because when you start hanging out with the world and get closer and closer, the powers of darkness are at work. And it's a lot easier for people to be conformed to the world than bring people to Christ often, especially if you're trying to follow some absolutist formula. they got to become their friends first. However, having said that, I'm not saying you start a new job. You know, while it's your first day, you're in a factory or something, you jump on a table and say, you know, repent or perish, everybody. You know, I'm not saying to do that either necessarily. You might want to do that in some places if you, you know you lost your job or something and you want people to get right. But it's a matter of being prayerful and sensitive yeah. to the Holy Spirit. Again, that's what I seek. I don't try to have a canned formula. I say, Lord, show me, speak to me. And he gives me a sense of urgency often where I don't wait to become friends. You know, Chad, you've been with me. I share the gospel at restaurants with waitresses and waiters or whoever. Chad does too. We share the gospel with people. Other times I get to know a person because this situation dictates that that's a good way to do it. You yeah, know? yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, typically when we do our mission trips, and you know, I got people all over the country now at school and so forth. But they'll know this that if we're traveling, if we go out to eat, somebody from the table's got to share the gospel with the waiter uh, to some degree. But there's a couple of no, things. No, when you that, on a mission trip, shouldn't you just go like 15 times, and then you, once you've established friendships, then 20 <laughs> years later, share the gospel with them? Wrong. No, it, and one of the things that helps my nerves, too, is that this person, whether it's on the streets, even in your local, even if you're local to your, your own town, the truth is, is the likelihood, at least for us, some of you guys live in smaller towns, but we have over 100,000 people here. The, the likelihood is if I walk by this person and never say a word, they won't remember me. Like, they do not care. But guess what? 
if I could sit there and have a conversation with them, if they get mad at me, they'll probably forget about it anyways. And guess what? There's a chance that it could change their eternity. And that's a huge thing. And there's a couple of, of things I've, I've heard in the past that have stuck out to me. Uh, one of them specifically, and a lot of times this quote is attributed to Francis of Assisi, and it's preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. Well, that's a big problem. And in fact, I think Ray Comfort has said, you know, feed the poor at all times and if necessary, use food. It's like you can't preach the gospel without actually sharing the gospel, the euangelion, the good news. Amen. It's a proclamation of the what good a news. What privilege it is to share and the good news, man. We get to do it. I, I, it's, it's incredible, like beyond incredible to me. But another statement that I remember hearing and has stuck out to me for a really long time, and it's that, that question to yourself, how long does it take you to discuss the most important thing in your life? So most people have no problem walking up and I'm saying this as, as a Cowboys fan, and I can talk to somebody if they're wearing a Cowboys shirt or if they're wearing a Giants shirt, and I can joke around with them. We can talk about it real quick, right? And, and we can make conversation. But what's the most important thing in my life? If all you talk about with somebody is sports and you never bring up the gospel of Jesus yeah. Christ, is he really the most important thing? How long does it take six months, as you mentioned? Well, now they'll really know I'm a believer. Hopefully I won't even have to say anything, right? Or does it take you a week? of talking to someone over and over again. I can tell you this. This is something I had have I still do and have always done in my walk with Christ as a married man when it comes to meeting someone especially if I was at work meeting someone of the opposite sex, I don't care what it was, I would come up with a reason to bring up my wife. Oh, my wife loves when it's sunny outside. It's so hot, you know, it's so nice out because it was let's just start here. This is where I am. I am married and I have no conversation outside of what you need to buy at this store that I'm working at or whatever. And in the same way, there is no way that you can't bring it back to eternal questions when it comes to a conversation you're having with somebody and how long does it really take you to bring up the most important Amen, thing in your bro. life. And like, you know, look at Chad, we'll talk about the Cowboys and they're not even good. I know, you know? I know. Well, when they get Dak back, they'll be, they'll be, <laughs> they'll be better when they get Dak back. You maybe, know? maybe. But Jesus is the perfect savior, man. And you know what? Jude says, snatch them out of the fire. Amen. Snatch them out of the fire. Hey, that dude's in the fire, man. He's, man. Hey, how you doing, man? I'll be back next week. We'll get to know each other while you're burning, you know? No, man, we need to snatch them out. Now, of course, circumstances do warrant at times. Okay, you know what? I got a new job. I'm getting to know people. But be careful because what can happen is you get into a point where you get intimidated because sometimes when you get to know people better, then all of a sudden you get to see this guy's really sarcastic, this person's like this. You might all of a sudden have some timidity where what you should be doing is say, Lord, you know what? Help me speak the truth in love. Help me speak the truth with boldness. Help my words be seasoned with grace, like apples and gold settings, the book of Proverbs. And help me be wise. And help me know that your Holy Spirit cries out for people to come to Christ and the Spirit and the bride. We're, we're, we're just saying, God, use us. The Spirit and the bride say come. So recognize the Holy Spirit wants to use you. He longs to sanctify us. He longs to use us to share that living water. He doesn't want us to just hold that water within, but to share it with others. So that's God's longing. That's his heart. So just cry out, Lord, use me. And his eyes go to and fro, it says, throughout the earth, looking for those that will surrender to him so he can use them uh, to do his will. So we encourage you to do just that. Amen. So yes, guys, this is one of those ones that, that may be a popular saying, but it's an inaccurate one. And also, if it's making you impotent to share the gospel, let it not anymore. Actually go out there 
and preach about your king and brag about him. All right, next question. And Joe, this is one I think that begets quite a bit of heresy. And this can get a, I guess, a Bible study off on the wrong track. And that's why I said, hey, this is one you might hear. It's a very popular saying at a Bible study. You might be reading from a text. And and I think that a lot of times, even maybe some ladies that are doing a Bible study together, this might be well-meaning. And not to mention there's plenty of guys who ask this question too. I'm just saying, I've talked to ladies and they've told me they've heard this question a lot. So I bring it up because you could be very well-meaning in asking the question, but when we're not understanding epistemology in our source, guys, that's a really big problem. So the question is, what does this verse mean to you? Why is that popular saying not a biblical saying? <laughs> it's not biblical because uh, God wants us to know what he means by what he says. What The question should be, what is God saying here? What does God mean, you know? And what was he saying to the people that were first recipients of that message? Uh, and how, then you can ask, and how does that now apply to my life, you know? What's the explanation of the text in its given context, you know? And how does that text harmonize with the rest of, of Scripture? And what's its historical uh, context? And, and what is God saying there? And then, you know, what is he now? Okay, now, how does that now apply to my life? Because the Scripture's alive, it's living and Chad, this is a great question because, and I, you know, knowing, you know, this was on the docket of one of the things, sayings that we're going we're gonna to deal with, uh, I, I saw a little bit of a, sadly, you know, uh, a very, very popular word faith prosperity teacher, T.D. Jakes, oh, who has wow. also, you know, denied the Trinity. He gave his mantle, so-called mantle, oh, I saw that over too. to his daughter, who's now the pastor, you know. Talk about and biblical sayings. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, she, you know, she's also been caught up, as he has been, uh, in the prosperity movement. And when you, when you, somebody just says, hey, what does this text mean to me? And they go and look at it that way. You can get all kinds of bad things out of the text because you're looking for some meaning that applies to your life without really saying, what is he actually saying here? And you miss the golden scripture. And what you end up doing is you end up, you know, getting a text that has been twisted and poisoned. Peter warns about those who twist God's word and in second Peter chapter three they twist the, Paul's teaching he says as they do the other scripture and that word twist there is used of a person being twisted on a rack uh, and and tortured to say something that they don't mean and that's what happens people twist God's word people say things that you mean and then you know what I, I never saw his his daughter before and she became a preacher so I clicked something on where she was sharing something and uh and wow Talk about taking scripture out of context. And I know biblically, First Timothy chapter two, she's prohibited from being a pastor, just as men are prohibited for dressing to dress like women and so forth, or have babies. We have different roles. But uh, so un she's unbiblical outside, out out of the gate. But I was like, so she took he, she took uh, Acts chapter ten and eleven with Cornelius's conversion, and I'm not and, and Peter sharing the gospel with Cornelius and I don't have, we don't have time to get into it because we've got to other questions as far as in depth but I just want to say what was happening there is is God was opening the door of the gospel to the Gentiles Jesus told them to preach to all the nations right well they got a slow start right they had some of their prejudices going on for the Jews only uh, to a degree in the early chapters of Acts and then Paul gives you know or the Lord God gives uh, you know sends an angel to uh, Cornelius and he's a God fearer he fears God he's a Gentile he doesn't know know Jesus yet you know but uh, but he his heart is to follow the Lord, so he's 
he, he's become a proselyte uh, to a degree. And then God gives Peter, you know, a vision with the, the unclean meat and so forth. And then he opens the gospel and shows him to preach the gospel to Cornelius. And he preached the gospel to Cornelius and the Holy Spirit comes upon him. He's regenerated. He's saved. He's speaking in tongues. He's subsequently baptized. And it's a very clear declaration in scripture that God is now, he wants to move to the Gentiles. Get it together, Peter. Apostles go forth, not just to the Jews, but also uh, to the Gentiles. So what she gets out of that passage is, look what God's doing here in Peter's life. He's expanding Peter. God wants to expand all of our lives. It becomes this prosperity message where God just wants us to be, he wants to expand what he's doing in our lives and and have our lives to be so we can be more prosperous and so forth. I'm like, oh Lord, God. You know, there's many wonderful things that you can derive from the text that are that are, you know, the, the over overwhelming body of the message that salvation by grace is for Gentiles and Jews. But yeah, there's other things in there you can learn and you can say, okay, what's God teaching here? Man, I can see a lot of beautiful things there. Wow, look at this awesome. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and that God makes his covenant known to those who fear him. It, uh, wow, that's beautiful. Cornelius fears God. God makes his covenant known to them. He gets more wisdom. He gets saved. That's a good uh, example for apologetics. When somebody says, what about the aborigine? What about this person? I use John 7, 17. God will, you know, uh, whoever wills to do the will of the Father will know the doctrine. Cornelius didn't know Jesus, but in his heart, he wanted, he was responding to the light that God had given him. God gave him more light. Oh, there's also, you can also say, hey, that also refutes the idea that you have to be baptized to be regenerated. Cornelius was was regenerated, born again. Peter even used the word saved in chapter 11 when he preached the gospel to him. And then afterwards he was baptized, refuting the teaching that you have to be baptized to be regenerated, baptismal regeneration. There's a lot of things you can get out of the text and say, how does that apply to what this church teaches or what we believe? And we have to make sure we comport with scripture. But you don't say, what does this mean to you as though it has some kind of special meaning to you? You have to say, what is God saying here? Otherwise, you get off in all kinds of weird and false teachings. Now, it, it is interesting because, Joe, one of the other things he said when he anointed her to pass on this blessing... Well, we didn't plan on talking about this. Is, but it's just no, I, I saw it too, and I thought about doing it on 511 News, but then Chris Tomlin started endorsing Joyce Meyer, and that got at me at, on another <laughs> subject. But anyway, don't want to go down that too, too hard. But oh, Lord, have when mercy. I saw him specifically quote from what John the Baptist said of Jesus in John 3.30, that he must increase and I must decrease. He used that quotation yeah. about him and his daughter. Yeah, they I mean, you're like Christ, right? That is some sick stuff. But yes, that is the place that it will take you if you're not asking. That's the literally the difference between exegesis and eisegesis. Amen. That's the difference between saying... God, what is your? what are you trying to say in your word by the context of what is in there, by the syntax, what are the words that you're using? How can I best look at this and rightly divide your word so that I can get the most out of it? That's the most beautiful thing about Amen. reading scripture in context is that when you understand the context, it always is way more extravagant and has way more beauty to what, I mean, quoting Jeremiah 29, 11. Right? We could quote that all day and be like, God has a plan for us, a plan for us to prosper. I mean, the Word of Faith heretics just love that verse. But sometimes that plan is involved in a 70-year captivity. Which is where they're at. Yeah. <laughs> where imprecatory psalms are going to be written. I mean, I mean, this we're talking about seriousness. Now, the beauty of that means that even in that horrible circumstance... In, in purgatory, psalms, psalms are going to be written? Imprecatory. 
Imprecatory Psalms. Yeah, Imprecatory Psalms. That's what you're saying. I speak fast. Sorry. Yeah. Um, uh, if you misunderstood me, was not saying Imprecatory Psalms are going to be. No, written. we're going to spend all next month dealing with the Catholic yeah. religion and why it's false. But that's for next month. But nonetheless, no, I mean, you're, you're talking about a beautiful scripture ripped out of its context and not recognizing, wait a second, the plans to not harm you will seem like harm. I mean, it will seem like harm inside of what was happening, that they were being lied to by Hananiah, the grace of God, right? They were being lied to, that they weren't going to this captivity. But yeah, what God's a beautiful so thing. let you go through any suffering, which is a lie. But you're not, yeah. another, and another the authority lie. of God's word, you guys. God's word is so powerful. And we need to preach it. We need to share it. it you know, the scripture is saying what? Is it Hebrews 4.12? You know, the word of God is sharper active. than any two-edged sword. It's sharp and active. It's alive. It's powerful, dividing so, soul and spirit and bone and marrow. And in Jer- you quoted Jeremiah chapter 29 11, Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 29. says, isn't my word not like a fire? Is it mm, not a hammer yeah. that breaks in pieces, Thanks. man? We need to just use God's word, allow it to do its work, and understand it in its given biblical context. And that's where it'll be most fruitful. It can be used, actually twisted into something destructive when it's in the hands of the enemy. Even the enemy uses God's word. You know, what did, you know Satan took it for what it meant to him or what he wanted it to mean to Jesus. Jesus, you know, mm-hmm. jump off the pinnacle of the temple. It's written. You know, it quotes Psalm 91. He'll give his angels charge over thee to, you know, gather thee up before they dash thy foot upon a stone. And Jesus says, it is written, you know. He said, it is written, thou shalt not test the Lord thy God, you know. So Jesus wasn't saying, oh, wow, that's wonderful meaning for me. No, he compares Scripture with Scripture. And that's one of the principles of, of sound science of interpretation, hermeneutics, which is comparing Scripture with Scripture and the harmony of Scripture because all Scripture is breathed by God. It's all inspired by God. It's all one, has one author. It doesn't contradict itself. It's one beautiful, powerful meaning. You just have to look at it in its proper biblical context. Amen, amen. And, you know, this, this next one, Joe, especially I, I know when we put this on the original screen, just so you know, when we decided... We're going to do two of these. That's because we went so long on the first five the last time. And so me, on this one, no, I did too. I, every I'm time. Teasing. I go long. I'm I did, I did that, too. You know? um, but, you know, this one was through a couple people off guard. They're like, wait a second. Wait, of course it's God's will. And, and they got really, they just misunderstood. And so a lot of times, Joe, and I think that a lot of well-meaning people, when somebody's going through a struggle or maybe something has happened, maybe their husband has cheated on them or wife has cheated on them or you know, they've had a bunch of money stolen from a family member, whatever it may be, somebody passes away. They'll say, well, you know what? It was God's will. You know, this is just God's will. So you can handle it because, you know, this is just what God willed on it. It must have been God's will if it happened. So is that a biblical saying? And if we're saying that it's not, what do we really mean by saying this isn't a biblical saying? Yeah, well, a lot of people, when they say something is God's will, uh, they believe it's, you know, this is whatever happens is like God's perfect will. It's, he wanted it to happen and, and uh, he caused it to happen. He made it to happen and so forth. And uh, it becomes very unbiblical because the scriptures tell us that we live in a world that's full of rebellion. We live in, there's a spiritual world all around us. We wrestle against flesh and blood, right? But against Satan, you know, the ruler of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places. And they're not def- they're definitely not in God's will. We have all kinds of world leaders that are out of God's will. Look at the history of the entire narrative throughout Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. God is dealing with people and punish them because they are doing things that are out of his will. Okay, uh, it, You know, what's the cross but a response to human sin and human rebellion against God? That's why the gospel, we have the gospel because God uh, 
because of our rebellion against God. Now, it's important to understand that it can get a little bit complicated because it depends what you mean when you say it must have been God's will. Uh, if you mean it was God's, everything's God's decretive will, something that he said, I'm, I'm going to make sure this comes to pass, uh, then you don't know the nuances of the scripture, which are very clear. There's different aspects of God's will that are important to understand. And I went through like six or seven different aspects of God's will in a message on a Wednesday night about a year or so ago. But I'll mention three major aspects of God's will that are important for us to understand when we're actually, you know, ascertaining what is actually taking place and developing in the reality around us and whether it comports with Scripture or not and what aspect of God's will it may or may not fall under. Uh, there's God's decretive will, right? And God's decretive will is things that He's decreed will take place and uh, will not be thwarted uh, there's no way it's going to be stopped. Like, you know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Bam! No one's going to stop that. He decreed it. It's going to take place. Then there's also God's prescriptive will. And that's where God declares things. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. You know, on and on. Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. He, that's his uh, prescriptive will. He, he prescribes this is what you ought to be doing. And that's his will. That's his heart. That you follow his moral law, for instance. So, do people do God's will always? Absolutely not. In fact, they don't do it most of the time. And that's where God's permissive will comes in. His permissive will is whereby God permits and allows certain things to happen, even though uh, it might even be a wicked thing that God, for instance, doesn't want someone to do, but he permits it because we don't live, as it's been said, in a cartoon world where everything is just Everybody bounces off everything and there's no harm. We live in a very real world. There's going to be judgment. Why do you think there's a judgment for good and evil? Why does God judge people and throw them into hell if, you know, everything happens according to his specific prescriptive or decretive will? So I think it's very important that we understand there's his decretive will. It, it will be unhindered. It's unthwarted. There's his prescriptive will. There's also his permissive will where he permits certain things to happen even though they're bad because he knows he can use it for God's glory, and he wants us to make real decisions. Uh, now, I would also say there's God's heart will, you know, and you can say that this is similar to his prescriptive will, but it's the heart of God. He doesn't want, for instance, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, God says, the Bible says very clear, this is God's will concerning you, even your sanctification, and that you abstain from sexual immorality. That's his heart of the, for the church. He wants them to stay away from sexual sin and sexual perversion. That's his heart. But people still fall into sexual sin and perversion. God's will always takes place. Does God really want most people all, you know, to be damned? Jesus said, enter the straight gate, right? Narrow is the gate and, and, and straight is the way it leads to life and fewer there's a find it. But he's calling people, the people he's preaching to, to enter that gate. That's his will. But he talked about the broad road. That's, you know, broad is the gate and spacious is the way it leads to destruction. And many go that way. In fact, he's concerned about the soul. He says he wills that all would be saved and come to knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 2, 4. 2 Peter 3, 9. God doesn't will that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. You see, there's also his prescriptive will, but there's also his consequent will. So his prescriptive will is, hey, come to Jesus. Get saved. That's my heart. I don't want you to perish. But here's his consequent will. That's if you rebel against him and say, no, I'm not turning to you, Jesus, no matter what. Well, guess what? His consequent will is if you disobey his will for you to be saved and rebel against him, and then you reject the atonement that was made on your behalf, his consequent will is, okay, now you will be damned and you will pay for your sins and be separated from me for all eternity. His will is still done either way in that context. But guess what? There's different aspects of his will. I think a good example of that, Chad, is found in 
chapter 33 and also in chapter 18 of Ezekiel where we really see some really clear passages where they're using a saying, the Israelites, the younger people are saying, hey, the children's teeth are set on edge because of the sins of their parents. In other words, guess what? We, we couldn't get right with God because we've kind of inherited, uh, you know, we're, we're defiled and we're sinful because of our parents and we're doing wickedly because of their sins. But the Lord's saying, no, yeah, you, we have a sinful nature, no doubt. That's original sin. But we don't inherit the guilt of our parents or of Adam. The, he goes on to say, each sin, each person will, will answer to me. All souls belong to me. And the soul that sins, it will die. And he says, no longer use this saying that the children's teeth are set on edge because of the sins of their parents. What people do today, they say, well, I guess I'm predetermined to be evil and I can't turn to Jesus because God really doesn't want to save me. But he says to those people that are perishing, he says, why will you die? I, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Turn ye, turn ye, O Israel. Why will you die? In other words, he puts the onus on them saying, hey, my heart is that you're saved. Don't you be using these these." these uh, doctrines to say, I can't get saved. The door of salvation is open to them and his will is that they'd be saved. So they can't say in the hell, I'm in hell in the end because God really wanted me to go here. No, God wanted you to turn to him. But if you didn't, his ultimate will will be fulfilled uh, in those who come to Christ. But his consequent will will still be fulfilled in those who reject Christ. And I think one of the best passages on this, Chad, is, uh, for instance, of his own people. And you read it in Jeremiah 7, you read it in Jeremiah chapter 19. Well, praise the Lord. Flip right open to Jeremiah. Thank you, Jesus, that we can get to our questions. But listen to Jeremiah 19. The, the folks are offering up their children. Chad had alluded earlier how in the Old Testament that they were aborting their kids too, or they were sometimes waiting, waiting until they were born and then killing them. And look what the Lord says in chapter 19, verse 1. And it talks about Molech here, but here it talks about Baal or Baal. 19, 1, thus says the Lord, go and, well, <laughs> Let me, uh, what does he say specifically in verse 5? I'm going to cut right to it. He says, But you have built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire, burnt offerings to Baal, a thing which I never commanded or spoke of, nor did it ever enter my mind. It was never the heart of God, never his command. He says, I did not decree it in the ESV. I'm reading the NASB, but the Calvinistic translation, right? The English Standard Version says, I never decreed this. That was never his decree. What are you doing? He goes, this isn't my heart. This isn't what I've commanded. It never came to my mind. This wasn't something that I'd planned for you. Don't tell me that everything that happens is because God wants it to happen. Now, our Calvinist brothers and sisters, they'll often appeal to Ephesians chapter 1 and say, look, it says he works all things together for the, according to the counsel of his will. Yeah. I don't have a problem with that. Well, yeah, see, it says he works all things together according to the counsel of his will. Yeah, I agree with that. But then what they want us to read there, which it doesn't say there, that he caused everything to happen that takes place, including the evil things. He makes them happen by his predetermining power before we even exist. He planned out that we had to do these evil things. That's not what it says. It says he takes everything that happens. That would be everything that happens within the purview of his decretive will, his permissive will, his heart will, his, his permissive will, and so forth, and the things, the free will acts of men, and he works them all things together according to the counsel's will. In letters like Romans 8, 28, God works all things together for the good. All things, even the evil and the bad things, the bad choices that people make, for the good for those who love him and they're called according to his purpose. That's because our God is so much more powerful than a God that has meticulous providence that controls and, and makes the child molester molest children and makes wicked people do evil things where they have no real choice in it and then blames them for all eternity and burns them in hell for doing the very thing that he decreed that they had to do where they could do nothing different. No, man, the Bible, biblical God isn't like that, man. 
He'll take the evil that men do and he'll use it for the good, even as Joseph's brothers meant evil. But he said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Yep, and we're going to have to hit the gas pedal on these last two, Joe. But I know that number 10 is very important to a lot of people, so I want to make sure we get to that. But, Joe, number nine on here is you can't outgive God. And as you mentioned earlier, on the surface, this seems like, seems pretty right on. But typically, there's a pretext going on here. Yeah, we'll, we'll, because we want to get to 10. Uh, thanks, Chad. I'll give me that heads up. I'm sorry, we get going, man, and get excited, but we want people to know the truth, you know, and, and see that God's character is gracious and good. That that saying that you can't outgive God, on its on, on the surface is totally true. You can't, how can you outgive God? Thank God we, we can't outgive, outgive God. He's the creator of the universe, and every good and perfect gift comes down from heaven, from the Father of lights, in whom there's no shadow of turning, you know. Praise God. We can't outgive God, but that's often used, Chad, in the context of the prosperity movement telling people you need to give more and if you give this amount of money god's gonna you can't outgive god he'll give you more or you know what you need to drain your bank account and just trust god because if you drain your bank account and give me all your ministry you know now i'm saying oh then i can buy a rolls royce and buy another jet they say god's gonna you know give you back a hundredfold and you can't outgive him you know you can't outgive god you'll hear that all the time where faith teachers love to say that the problem is is that saying uh uh, that and they'll often use the verse, and I love this verse where Jesus says, "Given it shall be given unto you." You know, shake, you know, shaken up, pressed down, and overflowing. You know, that's a beautiful. I love that verse, but you know what? I understand the context of that verse too. I'm not saying it can't have an application uh, uh, to finances, but you know what the context there is? It's not finances. And there's many verses that talk about giving, and we should be giving financially, and we're all for giving sacrificially and so forth. We believe in that, you know. I go way beyond. I've, I knew the Lord called me to be a pastor. Good Fight Ministries is beyond the pastorship. Pastors is beyond Good Fight Ministries. I expend my life. I want to burn the candle at both ends for Jesus because I want to just give all the glory to him, time, talent, and treasure, you know. But at the same time, I want things done in context. And I want to know the heart of God. And when you look at Luke, Luke chapter 6, verse 38, and he says, Give, and it shall be given unto you, you know. Uh, and the verses where Jesus talked about Matthew, you know, pressed down, shaken up, and, and flowing over. The context, when it's used so much for money, is mercy. In fact, uh, let me read Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Given it shall be given to you, right? But not only read the context. A couple of verses before that. Be merciful. It's talking about mercy. Giving love. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken up, and running over. It will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. What's the Lord telling me to do? Those who stab you in the back, Joe, those who mistreat you, those who say wicked things about you because they hate the truth that you stand for, or for whatever reason, love them back, man. Show them mercy. You know, pray for those who, who uh, persecute you and those who despitefully use you and say all manner of evil against you. Why? Because that's God's heart. And he says, by the way, in Matthew, when he says that, because then you'll, and in Luke as well, that when you show mercy, when you love your enemies, he said, then you'll be like your, your father in heaven. Because God does love his enemies, contrary to those who say he, he wants them all to burn, you know. He loves his enemies and wants them to be saved and fulfill his prescriptive heart well. You know, but this is the this is the case here with this text. It's talking about being a merciful person, because the Bible says mercy triumphs over judgment in the book of James, chapter two. And those who show no mercy on judgment day, they will not receive any mercy. But guess what? Those who show mercy, they will receive mercy. 
And that's why Jesus says, when you pray, pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And then he commented, if you don't forgive your brothers your sin, their sins, the Father won't forgive you. But if you forgive their sins, the Father will forgive you. So it's critical that we understand that God does. Now, I'm not saying some will say, yeah, when God talks about giving, he wants it to, you know, you know, we want to make sure you have enough to pay the bills and everything. And, and, and yeah, you don't want to go too extreme and be sacri- so sacrificial and then, then give. Well, guess what? I look at the scripture. I'm like, well, wait a minute. God calls me to sacrifice. And Jesus commended the, the widow who gave her last two mites and said she gave more than everybody else because she gave out of her poverty. Uh, the churches sometimes are, a couple churches are exalted in Paul's writings because they gave beyond their means. So God does want us to give, but he also wants us to be wise and prayerful and not think I'm going to give because I, God's going to give me a lot of money. We want to give because that's how we glorify God. That's how we get the gospel out. And that's how uh, we shine the light for Jesus. Yeah, and it even says in Proverbs that do not withhold that, you know, when it's in your power to do so and yeah. those who deserve it. So it's it's important as, as well. All right, Joe, so this is what the show title is named after. So I feel bad just getting on the last five, six minutes here. But nonetheless, this is one that you hear a lot. And it sounds pretty good on the surface, but there are some verses that seem to wholly contradict the idea if it's said just like this, and that is, God will never give us more than we can handle, or God will never give you more than you can handle, which is typically given in somewhat of a counseling fashion when someone is sharing with somebody. Yeah, and that's a statement that's depending on how it's, you know, parsed, how it's said in the context, you know, is very, very important here because a lot of times people say, God won't give you more than you can handle, as though anything you go through that you could just handle it because God won't give you more than you can handle. But what? But what people miss when they say that is a lot of times, and they don't always mean to, to say it in such a way where it can be misunderstood. A lot of times the recipient of that statement, uh, you know, and I, I, and I appreciate the sentiment of those who are trying to let people know that God's just, he's merciful, he cares for you, and he's not going to give you more than you can handle. They mean good in saying that. Sometimes if you don't give a qualification that, uh, you know, uh, because guess what? There's a lot we go through that we can't handle, mm-hmm. that God gives us on purpose. So we recognize that we can't handle it and we need him. Okay? Uh, that's that's my point is, for instance, it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, which is where, where a lot of people use this saying from that passage, but but we need to understand what that verse is saying there in, in the context too, you know? Because verse 12 right before 13 says, you know, take heed when you think, let him who thinks he's, stands to heed lest you fall, right? And then after verse 13, which I'll quote in a moment, a reference, he talks about keeping yourselves from idols because he's concerned about them falling into idolatry and the worship of demons and so forth and a falling like they did in Israel. And he draws a line from God's judgment against those who fell in the promised land and wiping them out before they got to the promised land and says, hey, don't fall like they fell. Those are warnings for us. And then in verse 13, he says, there's no temptation and the Greek word is parasmos, and that word can mean to tempt, or it can also mean trial. It's like a coin with two sides. There's no temptation. And I, sometimes when I see parasmos, I like to say there's no trial or temptation, because it can mean both. And usually, it always has one meaning or the other, or both. So there's no trial or temptation that's taking you, but that which is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tried or tempted beyond what you are able now, if you stop right there, you might think, wow, yeah, see, yeah, he won't give us more now. But you got to read the rest of the verse. <laughs> but God is faithful. Not, he's faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted or tried beyond what you're able. But with the temptation or trial, the 
prosmos. He will give you a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. He will give. That's his grace. So guess what? Yes, guess what? There are too tough for us to handle without his grace, without his way of escape. So the way we, when we use, if we're going to say, hey, you know, God won't give you more than you can handle, bro, or sister, you want to say because he's always going to give you a way of escape. He's going to give you the strength. He's going to give you the power of his, his spirit, you see, because a lot of people use it almost in a humanistic sense that God's giving you the power to withstand whatever he lets you go through. No. In fact, in Corinthians, Paul makes it very clear in 2 Corinthians mm-hmm. that he we do go through more than we can handle so we can we can look to him, and then we look to him, then it's not too much to handle. That's the key. In fact, let me read a couple of scriptures in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. We read, We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the hardships we encountered in the province of Asia. We were under a burden, listen to this, we were under a burden far beyond our ability to endure. That's more than you can handle, Chad, right? So that we despaired even to life Indeed, we felt we were under the sentence of death in order that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Wow. So he's saying God will give you more than you can handle, so you'll trust in him so he can deliver you rather than you thinking you could trust in yourself. And this is the same Paul that wrote 1 Corinthians where he talked about he won't give you, you know, more than you can endure. Well, wait, does he contradict himself? No. He's saying he won't give you more than you can endure without his grace. He's not saying it won't give you more than you can endure without, or uh, or he won't give you more you can endure uh, with his grace, but he will give you more you can endure without his grace, so you'll turn to him and look to his grace. How many of us learned to pray more? How many of us got close to the Lord because we were going through a crisis that we couldn't handle, but we turned to the Lord and then he delivered us? Let me give you 12.9 as well. Paul says, and he gets this thorn in the flesh, man, that he can't handle. He prays three times, Lord, take this from me. And guess what happens? Verse 9, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, Paul says, therefore, I will rather glory in my weakness or infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. One more verse, 2 Corinthians 3, 5. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as being of our, from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. His grace is sufficient. So if you're going through trials right now, he's not going to give you more than you can handle apart from his grace. His grace is there for you. Make yourself, avail yourself appropriate His grace through faith and crying out to Him. But if you say, no, I'm going to do it my own, He's going to be more you can handle, you're going to be just wiped out, man, and hopefully come to the realization that you need God's grace to get through the, the hardest things in life and everything in life. Amen. Jesus said, apart from Him, you can do nothing. But through Him, you can do all things. Amen. Praise so guys, God. I want to encourage you guys. God we bless love you. you guys. God Praise bless you. You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com goodfight. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.